Thank you, Dave. Keep thinking of Fanny Crosby that wrote that last song, Blinded as a Child, because I think because of a doctor's malpractice. And yet God would use her in a mighty way, give her spiritual sight, even though she didn't have physical sight. Writing so many hymns and songs, um, filling songbooks. In fact, she wrote so many hymns that they gave her other names for some of her songs, like written by another person, but it was actually Fanny Crosby who had written them, but they thought the whole hymn book is filled with Fanny Crosby. People won't want to buy it. So she had, I think, at least three other names that she used in writing her hymns, and she would write them in her mind in memory, and so she would dictate it once it was finished. And so it was all in her, I mean, she couldn't see, so pretty amazing. And she held, even though she couldn't read, she held a Bible in her hand while she was composing. It just, her way of inspiration. Pretty incredible how God used Fanny Crosby to bless so many through the years through her hymn writing. Well, tonight we're in Genesis chapters 18 and 19. Genesis chapters 18 and 19. We continue on with the accounts of Abraham and his wife Sarah, and also in, in Genesis 18 and 19 actually go together because they... 18 is preparing for what is going to happen in Genesis 19 and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the two chapters go together as the Lord appears to Abraham before sending the two angels who were with him, sending them to Sodom and Gomorrah to fetch Lot, Abraham's nephew, from Sodom before the destruction of that city. And so we're going to go through it tonight. There's a lot here. And uh, this is a very hated portion of Scripture these days. But we're going to teach what God's Word says. I've always tried to do that. And uh, let things fall where, where they may. So I titled this first part, chapter 18, Nothing is Too Hard for God. And I want to just read what I think is the key verse of Genesis 18, verse 14. And open us in prayer. So Genesis 18:14 says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. So, Father, we thank you for your word that you have given us and for uh, this account in the book of Genesis of Abraham, Sarah, and also Lot, his wife, and two daughters. We're going to see, Lord, some who had very great faith, some who laughed at your promises, and others, Lord, who turned and looked back to the world and lost her life, uh, lots of daughters who would, Lord, go by the ways of the world and do a pretty corrupt thing. And so we're going to see all this tonight, Lord, in the these chapters as we look at Genesis 18 and 19. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless the teaching of your word. You have given it to us for our learning. So, Lord, help us hear what the Spirit is saying to your church, to this church, this night in Jesus' name. Amen. So once again, the Lord appears to Abraham, this time by the, in verse 1, it tells us, by the terabith trees of Mamre. It's where, no doubt, Abraham had pitched his tent for a season. And the Lord at this time also brought two angels with him. And we'll learn more about those two angels later in this chapter and then, of course, in chapter 19 as well. And we pick up in verses 2 through 5, and it tells us, So Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree 
and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you said. So Abram, Abraham now, officially, as we got through uh, Genesis 17, the Lord gave Abraham and Sarah their new names. And now I got to get in the habit of saying Abraham once again. I was trying to stick with the word and up to chapter 16, he was Abram. But in 17, he becomes Abraham, father of nations. But he's excited to see the Lord coming at this time. We've seen this before. It's a Christophany of the Lord. A theophany in the Old Testament is where there is a visible appearance of God found in the Old Testament, but not always in human form. Here we find a Christophany of the Lord, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus would say, and we wonder about the exact moment the Lord was referring to when he said this in John 8:56, your father Abraham, he's talking to the Jews of his day. In John 8:56, Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And when he saw it, he was glad. And so he rejoiced to see that day. This can be taken a couple of different ways. Some believe that Abraham rejoicing to see the day of the Messiah was the rejoicing that came as a result of God's promise through his son Isaac. When the Lord said in Genesis 22:18, we'll see this in a few weeks. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so some have pointed to the prophecies concerning the Messiah that caused Abraham to rejoice. But we know of at least three Christophanies in Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20, when Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of peace, came out to meet Abraham when he was returning from battle. And then in here in Genesis 18, where the Lord appeared to Abram by the terebinth trees of Mamre. And then in Genesis 22, 11, verse 15 tells us that the angel of the Lord took Abraham to Mount Moriah there to give him that blessing on Mount Moriah. So Abraham was blessed to be in the presence of the Lord. He asked that he might bring some water to customary to wash their feet, some bread to refresh their hearts. And the Lord gave Abraham permission to do these things. And so he made cakes in verse six from fine meal Meat was prepared from a tender and good calf. Always got to keep the fatted calf on hand. And Abraham presented these along with butter and milk. I love this. I know it's pre-law, but if you go to Israel today, it's hard to get butter and milk at dinner time. But Father Abraham had all these things and presented them to the Lord. He set them before him, verse 8, and stood by them under the tree as they ate. So very reminiscent of the first communion meal with Jesus and his disciples. At that time, Jesus was the one who was washing his disciples' feet. And here Abraham is the servant, as it should be, washing the feet of the Lord and the feet of the two angels. Jesus said in Luke 22:27, For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. And the Lord did that for his disciples. But here we find Abraham standing as they're eating. He didn't sit down and it doesn't have that appearance that he joined them, but that he set the meal before them and stood by them under the tree as they ate. He was the servant as it should be. And so the Lord said to him, verses 9 through 12, where is Sarah, your wife? And so he said, here in the tent. And the Lord said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Now, Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, 
well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord also being old? So while the Lord and the two angels were eating, the Lord said, asked about Sarah, her whereabouts, and then announced to Abraham that Sarah was going to have that son. The son of promise that the Lord had promised him when Abraham was 75 years old and Sarah was 65 years old. But now Abraham is 99 years old and Sarah is 89 years old. And the Bible tells us that they were well advanced in age, of course, past the age of childbearing for Sarah. She had already went through menopause. But it had been 24 years. They'd been in the land of promise. And he had been following, and they had been blessed by the Lord in many ways. But that one promise of the Lord, that the Lord would give him a son, at this point now it seemed impossible. When Sarah heard what the Lord had said, the Bible says she laughed within herself, thinking, there's no way. Now? Well, in Hebrews 11, 11 and 12, it says, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. She bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. So it wasn't only the faith of Abraham, but also we find in Hebrews 11, 11, that it was also the faith of Sarah. Although she may have laughed to herself, questioned the Lord, there's a point to where she believed the Lord and received strength to conceive seed because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged God faithful. Therefore, Hebrews 11:12, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, verses 13 through 15, the Lord asked Abraham, verse 13, why did Sarah laugh, saying, surely I shall not bear a child since I'm old? And in response, Sarah, well, she denied her laughter. The Lord, though, saying in verse 14, asking a rhetorical question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for me? At the appointed time, the Lord said, I will return to you according to the time of life. Sarah shall have a son. So the Lord now repeating his promise just as he had given it prior to Sarah laughing, Sarah laughs to herself. The Lord's challenging that laughter, but repeats the same promise. Saying, according to the appointed time, according to the time of life, Sarah shall have a son. Yet Sarah, verse 15, denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And the Lord said, no, but you did laugh. It seems funny to me that people, we read about people arguing with God in the Old Testament. Sarah arguing with the Lord here. Uh, no, Lord, that wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, it was. Or Peter, not so, Lord, when he said that they were all going to scatter because of him that night. Peter, not so, Lord, even if all they. Peter wanted to argue with Jesus about the truth that the Lord was speaking to him. The Bible tells us in Psalm 44:21, would not God search this out for he knows the secrets of our heart. But I believe quite often if we'd be honest with ourselves, we often might challenge the Lord in our own little arguments with God. And yet the Lord knows even the secrets of our hearts. So the answer to the Lord's question, is anything too hard for the Lord? It's a rhetorical question. No, nothing is too hard for the Lord because God has created all things. He can do all things. When Mary asked Gabriel about giving birth to a son while she was still a virgin, 
Gabriel responded to her in Luke 1.37 saying, For with God nothing is impossible. When Jesus' disciples heard him say that the rich would have a hard time getting into heaven, they asked the Lord, Who then can be saved? And in Matthew 19.23-26, the Lord responding saying, With men this, or salvation, is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Since nothing is too hard for God, it is best to place all of our trials, all of our concerns, into the Lord's ever-faithful hands. One of the early memory verses that I had as a young man was 1 Peter 5, 7, saying, Casting all your cares upon him because he cares for us. If you... uh, ever see my signature it's got a the p on my signature has a fairly large loop on it it used to be larger i used to loop it all the way across to the l's and i did so because i'd write inside the loop first peter 5 7 uh, when i was in the band and people would ask for autographs that's how i would sign my name and put scripture in it but this was the verse of scripture that i would give them casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. And so to the Lord, we're able to cast our cares because he is able to do all things. So the purpose of Abraham's calling in verses 16 through 22. So we kind of move on. We've been given that promise now. And now there's a, a shifting of events that's going to take place. And there's a preparation for it here as two angels are getting ready to go to Sodom. The men arose from there, looked towards Sodom, verse 16. And Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, now the Lord talking to the two angels, not to Abram at this time. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed by him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. Or, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Either way, he's there in front of the Lord. So it was after dinner now and Abraham's visitors arose I looked towards Sodom, and the Lord decided to share with Abraham what was about to take place in Sodom and Gomorrah. For the outcry against these two cities had become great because their sin was very great. Thus the Lord sent his two angels to Sodom, which we'll learn about the condition of Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 19. But here we find that Abraham is being told by the Lord in advance what is going to take place in Sodom and Gomorrah about the destruction of these two cities. So here we find that Abraham was a man who not only heard from God, God revealing his plan to Abraham, his plan for the world, but also as a prophet hearing a future events of what was going to take place before it took place. Abraham, standing now as a prophet of God, to hear a message from the Lord himself. In 2 Peter 1.21, it tells us, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. While much of God's interaction with Abraham was instructive, like Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Get out of your country, from your family, 
from your father's house and go to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's fairly instructive telling Abraham at 75 years old, Abraham, I know you're comfy here in Ur of Chaldean, but uh, time to move, time to follow me to get away from your country, your family, your father's house, and go to a land that I will show you. In fact, the way the Bible reads it is that Abraham did not know the location until he began the journey, and the Lord was revealing to him. He also, though, not only given him instruction, but speaking of future things, speaking of his descendants, promising the Messiah, and also talking about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Deuteronomy 4 and 35 says, To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none other besides me. And the Lord does these things that he might reveal himself to others, that you might know that it's the Lord God who has done these things. But I really like in these verses, as we're looking at right now, verses 16 through 22 of the Lord wanting to tell Abraham about Sodom. He does tell Abraham about Sodom. We'll see that in a moment. But God's purpose for blessing Abraham is revealed in four things. Number one, that Abraham would become a great and mighty nation. Number two, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed in him, which is a reference to Jesus Christ. Number three, that Abraham might command his children and his household after him. Remember, Abraham had a large household. He had 318 trained men who could go for battle to war for him. So he had a large household but that he might command his children and his household after him, that they might keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord might bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So the promises of Abraham. Four things, that Abraham would become a great and mighty nation. Number two, that all the nations of the earth should be blessed because of him. Number three, that he would command his children and household to keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice. And we could maybe break that into subpoints there, but I didn't. And number four, that the Lord might bring to Abraham what he had spoken to him, that all the promises that God spoke about Abraham would come to be. And although we might not be a great and mighty nation, nor will any Messiah come from us, We are blessed by the saving power of Jesus Christ. And like Father Abraham, we also should command our children that they should keep the way of the Lord. For such commands naturally teaches us to do righteousness and to do justice. We have a lot of people today talking about social justice, but their social justice is actually a false justice. They're going far away from the the foundations of God's word when they speak about these things. But to do rightly, to do righteousness, to do justice. Micah 6.8, a song that we sing, but the verse reads this way. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The Lord calls us not just to save us, but that we as the redeemed might then share the love of Jesus Christ that we have with others, especially our own household. And so we close out this chapter, chapter 18, verses 23 through 33, with Abraham's decreasing plea. Verse 23, Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Talking to the Lord here. 
Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous would be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Well, yes, the judge of all the earth does do right. So the Lord said to Abraham, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I, who am but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for the lack of five? So the Lord said, If I find there 45 I will not destroy it. And Abraham spoke to him again and said, suppose that there should be 40 found there. So the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. And so the Lord said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Upon hearing God's plan, Abraham interceded for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, partly because his nephew Lot was there, but maybe also because of all the people who were there. By asking God to spare them, if the Lord could at first, this declining plea, decreasing plea that Abraham had with the Lord, beginning at 50, taking it down to 45, to 40, to 30, to 20, And finally to 10. And in each case, God said, for the 50, for the 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. If there are this many righteous in the city, I will spare it. Apparently, Abraham believed there has to be at least 10 righteous people in the city. There in Sodom. For this is where he stopped his petition with God. Yet God would, as we know, go on to destroy these two cities. And it reveals almost the nearly total absence of righteousness in Sodom and Gomorrah at this point. Their destruction also demonstrates that God was just in his judgment against them. In Romans 2.2, it says, But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Paul is talking to the Jews his Jewish brethren there when he said that verse, talking in in the total depravity of the Gentiles in Romans chapter 1, but he talks to this Jewish brethren saying that we know the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. But Paul would also go on to say that those who approve of them, the Jewish brethren, you also will fall into condemnation as well. We likewise live in a world that is very grave. The outcry is very great. Ultimately, these sins will result in God's coming judgment upon this earth. But thankfully, the Lord saves those who place their trust in his Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, For there is nothing too hard for the Lord. And the Lord is merciful. Even for ten righteous people in the city, the Lord said, I will spare that city. Later on we'll read that Lot's spirit was vexed because of the condition of Sodom. But he is also called in the New Testament, righteous Lot. So it appears that there were at least one, and I would say only one, Because 
as we continue in the accounts and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, only Lot seems to come to that qualification and that semi-righteousness. We, we have a difficult time with Lot. I understand this. He separated from Abraham. He went to Sodom and Gomorrah because he saw it was a beautiful land. It was the lust of his eyes that led him there. I believe he, he lost his family. He lost his wife. We'll read about that in chapter 19. But even though his daughters lived spiritually, he lost them as well because he chose not to walk as closely with God as he could in the choices that he made. So a key verse in chapter 19, verse 19, Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. That's kind of the key part of it, but then it goes on. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. That we'll discover. Though Lot felt that he couldn't escape to the mountains, he ended up in the mountains because of what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah and the fear that he had of those who remained. So in verses 1 through 5, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he arose to meet them. He, he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go your way. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him, entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So as the angels came to Sodom and I was going to say Sodom and Gomorrah, but they're at Sodom at this point. Lot was sitting at the gates. We remember when Lot looked toward the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he saw all the plains of the land that it reminded him of Egypt and the beauty of Egypt itself. He camped outside of the city. He pitched his tent, Scripture tells us, toward Sodom. But now... He's sitting in the gate of Sodom where business would take place, where judgments were made. In fact, it would appear by this time that Lot had become a judge in the city of Sodom. In fact, the men of Sodom would accuse him of saying that very thing, that you are now judging us. But by sitting in the gate, it was where business, it would be like the county seat of Lake County. We're kind of mixed up here in Lake County because technically I think Libertyville would have been the county seat area, but they have the courthouse in Waukegan and it doesn't quite, not all directions point to one place in Lake County, Illinois, but it's kind of that deal. He's sitting in the gate. He sees the men coming. He sees something different about the men. He begs them to come into his home. Now, it was customary. They didn't have uh, Motel 6s back then. It was customary to take people into your home. And when you brought somebody in the Eastern culture into your home, to this day, this is practice in many of these cultures. When they came under your roof, then they became your responsibility. And that's going to play out as we continue in this story. Also, I want to just make mention that this is the first mention in verse 3 of unleavened bread in the Bible. That becomes significant to us with the Exodus and with communion in the church. But the first mention of unleavened bread is with Lot feeding the two angels in his home. Verses 4 and 5. Now before they had laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, surrounded the house they called to lot said to him where are the men who came to you tonight bring them out to us that we may know them carnally now many have connected the sin of sodom and gomorrah with homosexuality and this is this is true but only partially true according to the bible there were several other things which led to their depravity and we're going to look at that list in a moment but speaking about 
homosexuality. This reminded me of a paper that I wrote for class in 2017, so I pulled up my notes. And you can watch this debate if you'd like. You'd have to write this down to remember it. It was a debate between Dr. James White and I have a hard time saying pastor, but Pastor D. Bradshaw. So there was a debate. Bradshaw is the pastor of Sacred Light of Christ Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, or Metropolitan Community Church. And the White-Bradshaw debate was a subject on gay marriage in the Bible. So what we have here is Pastor Bradshaw is a professing believer in Jesus Christ who is also gay. So he's defending gay marriage. And here's some of the things that I pulled out of that debate. Now, I wrote this in a paper for a class in 2017, and I'm just going to give you uh, just a little excerpt from that paper. In what was supposed to be a debate over the question, is gay marriage supported from Scripture, Pastor D. Bradshaw turned the focus of the debate to the reason behind his acceptance of homosexuality lifestyle or of his homosexual lifestyle. Although Bradshaw viewed himself as having a biblical worldview, he admittedly wrestled over the clobber passages. I'd never heard this term before, 2017, but Genesis 19 is a clobber passage, as is found in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and 1 Timothy. So, passages of scripture that clearly teach against homosexuality. That's what they deem as clobber passages. Although he acknowledged that these passages taught against homosexuality in some form, especially Leviticus 18.22, Bradshaw declared, the spirit let me know that I am fine. And so Bradshaw admitted what the Bible teaches. He's claiming the Holy Spirit of God said, I know what the Bible says, but you're good. Don't worry about it. His opinion. His words. The Spirit let me know that I am fine. Bradshaw openly agreed that the Bible spoke against homosexuality. For example, Bradshaw admitted that homosexual activity took place in Sodom. Speaking about Genesis 19. He still viewed their idolatry, and and this is what the reason behind the destruction of the city, he says it wasn't because they were homosexuals, but because of their idolatry and their attempted gang rape of the two angels. That is why God destroyed the city. So kind of reading into the storyline to make it fit his lifestyle. Pastor Bradshaw rightly showed that other issues were at play, In Sodom, I had said that. There were other issues in play. In fact, Ezekiel 16, verses 49 and 50, tells us that pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness, talking about Sodom and her sister, Gomorrah. So they had pride, they had fullness of food, they had abundance of idleness, Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor, the needy. They were selfish. They didn't worry about other people. And then they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50. The Bible tells us that pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And here we find that when talking about Sodom and her sister, Gomorrah, in Ezekiel 16, the list of sins against this city began with pride. But it it reminds me so much of the United States because we have been a proud people as Americans and here in the United States. We've also had fullness of food compared to a lot of other nations in the world. We tend to have abundance of idleness, some of us. But are we helping the poor and the needy? We've become haughty. And we've admittedly committed abominations before the Lord. To Sodom and Gomorrah, God said, Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. 
And although God's revelation concerning the condition of Sodom and Gomorrah began with pride, it led to several immoral acts. It was like a, a domino effect. began with pride, but as pride continued to drop the dominoes until ultimately they were destroyed. They had in Sodom and Gomorrah pride, gluttony, idleness, unconcern for others, arrogance, depravity, and a blind lust, verses 6 through 11. This has always amazed me. Since I was a child, I've known this story. So Lot went out to them through the doorway. He shut the door behind them. He said, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you that you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And so they were getting ready to take now lots. So they pressed hard against Lot, came near to break the door down, and the men reached out their hand. The angels pulled Lot into the house. They shut the door, and the angels struck the men who were in the doorway with blindness, both small and great, and they became weary trying to find the door. So a few things amaze me about this. Why would a guy offer up his two virgin daughters? I wouldn't do that, but... Remember the Eastern custom? You take somebody into your home, you're responsible for that person as long as they're with you. You're also responsible for your daughters as well. So that's kind of crazy to us, but that was the offer. Also, the men, their blinded lust, they became weary trying to find the door. It, they were blinded, and they, it appears that they still kept trying to advance. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4 says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. In this world today, there are a number of people who are blinded to the truth of God's word. And that's why we have a difficulty sharing passages like Genesis 19. I told Lily, before dinner tonight, I mentioned this, that if I haven't gotten kicked off social media as of yet, and she said, I'm surprised you haven't been kicked off yet, but I'm still there. This one could do it. Why? Because I'm teaching what the word of God says, which now is going against what the world is trying to instruct. Lingering in the world, though, it's a dangerous thing. We find this with Lot's family now. So the men blinded, the angels blinded the men. That attack is over now. So the angels said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? Verse 12, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown so great before the face of the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. In the book of Revelation, we've been reading the tribulation saints crying out to the Lord, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? They're crying out to the Lord for justice and judgment. And no doubt there was a great outcry from the people. Just face it. If you were traveling and you showed up in Sodom and suddenly men attacked you in that city, you can imagine the outcry that would have come to God because of their blinded lust that they had. After rescuing Lot, the angels revealed their mission, told them to get any of his family out of the city, and yet his son-in-laws, we learned, they refused, verse 14 through 16. So Lot went out, spoke to his son-in-laws, who had married his daughters, we read of Lot's two daughters that go with him. We wonder if he had more than two daughters. 
they could have been betrothed to his two daughters. So technically the marriage contract was there, but they hadn't consummated the marriage yet. And so they could be called his son-in-laws, although that marriage ceremony hadn't been totally completed yet. So we're not sure if he had other children there or this was just the betrothal period, as was customary in biblical days. So his son-in-laws, who had married his daughter, said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But his son-in-laws seemed that he be joking. And when the morning had dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry. He said, Arise, take your wife, your two daughters who are here. So the daughters who are here, that could have been other daughters in the city that did not come, we will never know for sure. Lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, and that's what I titled this section here, Lingering in the World. While he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. And the Lord being merciful to him, they brought him out and set him outside the city. God's mercy toward Lot. Lot chose to live in this city when he saw it was a beautiful and well-watered place, reminding him of the land of Egypt. Lot's attraction towards Sodom resulted from the lust of his eyes and not the Spirit of God. He did not go there because the Lord desired him to be in that place. The Lord spared Lot, though, even though his soul was vexed. I had mentioned that earlier. Because of the filthy conduct and lawlessness of Sodom. This is how Peter put it in 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8. And I delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelt among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So if you wonder about Lot and his relationship with God, Peter three times, that he said, righteous Lot, righteous man, righteous soul. So God saw Lot as righteous. He might have been in the city for the wrong reasons, but he was able to maintain his moral compass in that city, though it vexed his soul. I'll tell you what, my soul's been vexed a lot. Some of the things that we've been hearing going on over this last year, especially, not only the riots that took place in 2020, and here in 2021 we see the depravity of our country seemingly being given over to some of the same things that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of. And now we have corporations even saying that, and the government getting to that point of saying that you can't speak against these things. This sermon in Canada tonight would be illegal to speak the word of God in this way. But not so yet here in the United States, but it's getting close. My soul gets vexed at times when I see the lawlessness of our world. And I'm sure yours, your soul has been vexed as well. And so it was, verses 17 through 22. It came to pass, when they brought them outside, that he said, escape for your lives. Run for your lives. Maybe he didn't yell it, but it sounds like there's an urgency here, right? Don't look behind you. Or stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. See, Lot learned how to pray from Abraham. Very similar the way Abraham talked with the Lord in his a decreasing plea for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, cities, and how he took it from 50 down to 10. And Lot, very similar. I found favor in your sight, and I've found your increased mercy. You've shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. 
See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have found favor concerning these things also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. And the name of that city was called Zoar. It means little one, small city. So the angels originally told Lot to flee to the mountains. Lot saw God's mercy had been increased toward him, begged that he could go to this small city, the city of Zoar. For whether, it really didn't matter, in the mountains or in the valleys, God is the God who can save. In fact, Hebrews 7.25 says that the Lord saves to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know, it wasn't logical for Lot. The angels saved them the night before from physical harm, but also now saving him from the destruction of the city that the Lord would, if he would save him from Sodom, he's going to save him in the mountains or he's going to save him in the valley or in the city of Zoar where he was going. And the same is true for us today. Never forget that even during the valleys or the high mountaintops, Jesus Christ saves because he always lives to make intercession for us. 23 through 26, we find a pillar of salt, and the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered the Zoar. And the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah and from the Lord out of the heavens. And so he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. So God waited until Lot and his family made it to the city before the Lord rained down fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Jude speaks about this in Jude 7, saying, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, talking about homosexuality there, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. See, they may have died physically, but Jude reminds us that their judgment is eternal. Jude is clear that part of Sodom and Gomorrah's condemnation was because of their sexual immorality. Jude said they had given themselves over to sexual immorality. They had gone after strange flesh. According to Jude, Sodom and Gomorrah are set forth as an example to us. They are suffering now vengeance of eternal fire as a warning to us today. Although the angels had warned them not to look back, we read of Lot's wife, perhaps lingering, perhaps mourning the removal of her home. Did she still have children there? We don't know. What caused her? Losing all their earthly goods. Maybe losing some of her family who had already married. We're not sure why she looked back, but she looked back. And the Lord even referred to this in Luke 17, 31 through 33. A lot of examples come from Genesis 19. We find in the New Testament. So it's not a one-off in Genesis 19, but referred to over and over again in the New Testament. Luke 17, 31 through 33, In that day, he who is on the housetop, talking about the coming tribulation that's going to come upon Israel that had not yet taken place. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. For whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. It's a long chapter. 
We're getting closer, though. 27 through 29. The Lord remembered Abraham. So we go back to Abraham for a moment. Abraham went out early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. I would imagine if the Lord came to you and you were able to have a meal with the Lord, that that would become a very special place for you as well, a place to pray and to stand. And he looked out towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward the land of the plain, and saw, and behold, the smoke of the land that went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. God's mercy extended toward Abraham by sparing Lot. So often God might work in other people's lives because of the relationship that he has with us as believers in Jesus Christ. This should be especially true for our children. The extended mercy of God toward others that we love. In Psalm 106, 4, Remember me, O Lord, with your favor you have toward your people. O visit me with your salvation. And I'm so thankful that God has remembered us and that God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now we come to that final section. We get back to Lot and his two daughters. Verses 30 through 38, it says, Then Lot went out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters there with him. I found that odd today. No, I can't go to the mountains. I'm going to the mountains. It's like, you didn't want to go there, and now you're there. And you're going to get in trouble there, as we'll see. His two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar, and he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Instead of praising God for their escape, Lot feared the people who actually, it appears, that this city was spared because of Lot's presence there. It would appear that it may have been consumed. They should have been thanking Lot, but Lot feared the people. So he took his two daughters, dwelt in the remote areas of the mountains where he did not originally want to go. Verse 31 through 35, So the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old. And there is no man on earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in to lay with her father. And he did not know when she laid down or when she arose, and it happened the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I laid with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine also tonight. And you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve our lineage of our father. And then they made the father drink wine that night also. The younger arose and laid with him. He did not know where she had laid down or where she had arose. So Lot's daughters, fearing that they would never marry, some have taught that perhaps they believed the whole world was destroyed, but they were already in a city that no doubt had people, so that would kind of spoil that argument. But they felt as if because they're the only survivors that they would not be accepted, so they developed this plot together to get their father drunk on two separate occasions that they might become pregnant by him. We find that although Lot was vexed by the depravity of Sodom, his daughters were so infected by Sodom that they no longer trusted in the Lord who had delivered them out of the destruction of Sodom to give them children that they might continue the line of their father. Therefore, they took matters into their own hands. Even still, God blessed their children as their sons would become two heads of nations, Moab and 
Ammon. And thus the daughters, verses 36 through 38, were with child by their father. The firstborn son was called by his name Moab. He was the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger was also a son, and they called his name Ben-Ami, and he was the father of the people of Ammon to this day. Although God's mercy had increased toward Lot, his wife had looked back. Lot feared the people of the land. He dwelt then in caves. And his daughters, through immorality, conceived their sons. And it seems that God's increased mercy toward them, that the Lord had so greatly blessed them if they'd only trusted in the Lord who had delivered them. But they tried to take matters into their own hands. I fear that we often are guilty of similar lapses of faith. I'm not saying that we're going to do the same things that perhaps Lot's daughters did here. Of course not. But we have lapses of faith where we try to take matters into our own hands instead of seeking the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ who has saved us and delivered us from our sins. Before I close, I just want to mention a few things. First, it's obvious our world is rapidly changing, going the way of the same depravity and corruption that was that we learned about of Sodom and Gomorrah here in Genesis 18 and 19. Second, Jesus knows, and this is something that is so important, Jesus knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. He delivered the righteous lot out of the city. The Lord knows how to deliver those who follow him. Ultimately, it's a great pretext for the rapture of the church and the Lord taking the church out before he judges this earth. Another thing, I, at the beginning of the month, I just want to mention this, the depravity of our country right now. The San Francisco Gay Men's Choir, they had a song that they had on social media. It's probably still available there. They've taken some heat for the words of this song, though. And the message was, we're coming for your children. I'm not going to read all the lines of their song, I want to read three lines to you. You say we all lead lives you don't respect, but you're just frightened. You think that will corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once, you're correct. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly, and you will barely notice it. The world is getting kinder. Gen Z's gayer than grinder. Trying to rhyme there. It's not working well for me. We're coming for them. We're coming for your children. The gay agenda is coming home. The gay agenda is here. Man, I like our song so much better here in the church than what they're singing. Finally. Although the sins of homosexuality and pride have been highlighted in Genesis 19, it's evident in our own society that God never intends for his redeemed to remain in the sins in which he finds them. And here's a beautiful passage that I love concerning depravity because we all sin. And adultery is sin, homosexuality, according to the word of God, is sin, fornication is sin. There's all a pride of sin, a variety of sin that's named in the Bible. But the Lord never intends for his redeemed to remain in the sins in which he finds them. This is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, for neither fornicators or adulterers idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, 
And you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Let me repeat this one thing. God never intends for his redeemed to remain in the sins in which he finds him. 1 Corinthians 6.11, But such were some of you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Thankfully, there is nothing too hard for God. This is because Jesus is able to redeem the world's greatest sinner and make him or her the world's greatest saint. One day we'll get to ask the Apostle Paul about that. Going from a real bad guy to one of the Bible's greatest heroes. That's all because of Jesus. Let's stand together as we close tonight. Here at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa on Wednesday evenings, we've been going through the ABCs of salvation. And the A stands for admit. Admit to God that you are a sinner and ask for his forgiveness. And the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's true for you. It's true for me as well. But the Bible also tells us in 1 John 1.9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The B stands for believe. Believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for us today and receive that gift of salvation. In Romans 5.8 it tells us, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And finally, the C for confess. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ Share that faith with others. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10:13. whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're listening on radio tonight through social media, uh, listening to this sermon at another time. you have questions, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. On Sunday, we have Mark and Nancy Drennenberg coming to lead worship for us once again this coming Sunday. And also, uh, we'll be looking at Revelation chapter 9, a message I titled, The Unrepented. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for your word and for your great truths that you speak to our hearts. Lord, help us to walk in your ways. Help us to learn from you. And help us, Lord, to desire to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.